coming up on College Nation. We rewind back to the weekend that was in college football. Plus, we discuss the proposals being tabled for the NCAA member schools in January. All that and more coming your way. Let's get into it. Discussing the biggest topics in the world of college sports, this is College Nation. Lucky, it was a big week in college football, as it always is. Which game stood out to you the most out of all of them? Well, the one stood out for me the most was actually, this has been a complicated couple of years for me because uh, the two teams which I have an affinity with from a supporter perspective are the Ducks and the Spartans. Uh, obviously, the Spartans are my Big Ten team uh, and, and the Ducks are my Pac-12 team. I know it's not a normal thing given that, you know, uh, we didn't go to college and so we don't actually have that alumni connection to a certain team. But for me... You've got to feel it though, that's all right. Yeah, but, um, you know, I, I, I love the Ducks and uh, I love the Spartans and the last couple of years it's been really, uh, yeah, a bit of a... A conflicting thing for me because they've actually played each other um, each, each of the last two years in non-conference play, and uh, and so for me, I'm not sure which side I've been on th- for the game. And um, the last couple of years, both games have been uh, been pretty good. And uh, obviously, last year in Eugene, the Ducks got up, and this year in uh, in East Lansing, the um, uh, Sparty got up. So uh, the weekend was really good because uh, it was a bit of a revenge on last year. Um, uh, the Spartans finally getting up, and it was uh, a, t- a top ten um, showdown in week two of college football. So, what do you think of Vernon Adams? He was a guy who kind of came on late in the piece. Oregon, he, I think, only really got the job a, a week or two after he actually arrived on campus, so they didn't really need to see a lot of him before naming him as their starting quarterback. What did you think of the way that Vernon Adams has played, and should he retain his position as a starting quarterback? Uh, absolutely. He was always going to be the starter. So basically, he just came from uh, Eastern Washington uh, as a graduate transfer. He did his years there and came on. It wasn't the, the reason why he hadn't been confirmed as their starter was because he actually hadn't met all the uh, eligibility criteria. Basically, it was up until two weeks ago that he was sitting this maths exam to make sure that he qualified, um, so he met all the requirements. So um, I think there was basically an entire um, you know, uh, city or town of Eugene, which were hanging off Twitter to, <laughs> to make sure that he passed his maths exam. Um, but uh, no, Vernon Adams is a uh, class act, and on the, uh, on the weekend, uh, you know, he's a right-handed quarterback. Um, oh, I know exactly what you're going to talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, had, had a, a, a nice mad scramble and managed to, um, you know, off-lay uh, off a pass using uh, a bit of ambidextrous uh, skill sets and uh, with a left hand. As he's throw. holding off a defender with his right hand. Well, let's you. not call it holding off. It was it was a holding him off. Nah, it wasn't. A, it wasn't. It wasn't the best palm or the best fend off I've ever seen. But uh, you know, he got the completion and that, he got the first down as well. Yeah, and that's the main thing. But uh, look, the, the game intrigued me um, mainly because uh, two top ten teams. You had Connor Cook versus uh, Vernon Adams, and uh, look, uh, Michigan State's always been known for you know having a really uh, frigid uh, defense. That was exactly what I was just about to put to you. Their defense was outstanding. Well, the thing that um, uh, I love about Michigan State, or, or D'Antonio in particular, is that uh, he's he's taken this program where I don't think anyone possibly could have in six years, uh, six, seven years, I think it is now. And uh, look, he they're, they're now ranked fourth, and we'll touch on the AP poll in a second. But for me, I mean, uh, D'Antonio could be headhunted next to, you know, one of the real marquee football programs in the nation. He's done a fantastic job with Michigan State, and um, look, I think... Uh, you know, it's interesting that uh, Ducks and uh, Spartans were playing in non-conference play uh, for two years in a row, but um, they got the win, and that's going to help them come college football playoff time. Absolutely. Now, the game that intrigued me the most, you know me, Lucky, I'm a sucker for upsets. We almost got possibly the biggest upset in the history of college football. I am, of course, talking about Auburn's 
overtime win against Jacksonville State. They ended up winning 27-20. But for most of the game, it looked like Jacksonville State were actually going to come over the top. I think they were up with about two or three minutes left and Auburn kind of somehow managed to uh, to take the game into OT and, and just managed to win. It was an outstanding performance from Jacksonville State who have, had never played an opponent rated as uh, ranked as highly as Auburn. What were they, fifth or sixth six, in the nation? Yeah. Sixth last, six last week. Now they're down to 13 or 14. Yeah, so they've dropped off quite a bit, but that is an outstanding performance from Jacksonville State. They're the first FCS uh, team to take a ranked FBS team to overtime, and they would have been the uh, the first FBS to, or FCS team to defeat an FBS team since August 31st, 2013, when Eastern Washington beat uh, number 25 Oregon State 49-46. Yeah, there, there really is no... Um, uh, and then we'll touch on this in, in our next segment in terms of the Power 5 schools. There really is, from a football perspective, no excuse for an FCS team to knock off an FBS team, let alone... Ranked. <laughs> let alone a rank, let alone Auburn of all places. Yeah. And the thing that fascinates me about this, and I haven't watched the game in the entirety yet, is that, you know, Gus, I, 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 I'm really curious to see... Where things fell apart from, because Gus Malzone, as a um, as, as a head coach, is you know he's known to be absolutely you know anal retentive about you know details and preparation and knowing everything inside out. That how could you possibly let Jacksonville State get so close? How much do you think it comes down to the fact that they just weren't ready for for Jacksonville State to put up a fight? Because you look at uh, certain team schedules and they they you know, schedule some big time games, but then every now and then you get the uh, the FCS team that you might not really care about. That you don't even really look at when you look at the schedule. You kind of skip over it and just mark it down as a W. How much do you think it came down to Auburn just not being ready for the fight that Jacksonville State was ready to put up? Well, that's the clarification I'd make. So I don't think it's got anything to do with Gus Malzone. I think it's, um, especially when you, we've got to put things into perspective here. We're talking about college kids. We're talking 18 to 22 year olds um, that, uh, you know, still, you know, don't have that psychological um, ability to actually switch on all the time. Like they're not pros; they're they're still amateurs, and uh, and these things happen. In quotation marks, amateurs. Yeah, <laughs> and that's why you know they um, they exist in college football. Is that uh, and why upsets happen in college sports is because they're not pros and they don't necessarily have um, you know that that pro athlete mentality all the time. And so that's why I can understand why these things happen. It shouldn't, though, and and that's the thing. And uh, um, I think that um, I think this will be a great lesson for Auburn. Otherwise, they're just incredibly overrated. Yeah. Well, why Auburn? If if they would have lost, pretty much would have guaranteed that they wouldn't have had any chance at the college playoffs whatsoever. Oh no. I think this is even pretty much done it for them because a lot of the, one one of the things that um that the the, the college panel the uh the what, what do you call them the, the selection se- committee the selection committee one of the things they look at is game control they had absolutely no game control well, against uh, Jacksonville State there's game control there's strength of schedule there's um you know just um uh um at wins at the core of it and so you know they're this this is a major blip, especially when we're considering. There's no way they'll make the um, college football playoff now. There is just none. They 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 won't be able to get enough. Um, you know, there'll be other teams that will go undefeated or will have. Um, just last week, you hear um, uh, Brett Bilmer at Arkansas, and you hear Les Miles LSU go on about how you know they still feel the SEC teams are. Um, there is no comparison just because the strength of schedule uh, is nowhere near what uh, the SEC schools have to uh, encounter week in, week out. And uh, I think that's highlighted by the top 20, top 25 poll again this week. I think there's seven SEC teams in the top 25. So, uh, you know, I think when when you're a uh, SEC school, 
and you're getting that down over by an FCS school, you shouldn't be there. When you ranked, you have to have um, wins like Ole Miss had against Fresno State, 73-21, or as TCU had over Stephen S. Austin, 70-7. You have to have those type of big wins in the bank just to really show the community that when you're playing against lesser opponents, you're actually that much better than them. Well, I think that's that's the argument that when you say when SEC schools go, well, we have such a strong strength of schedule, is that, okay, that, that's fine. We'll take that in consideration for your um, uh, when, when you're playing in conference, that you're, you're playing against SEC schools which are powerhouse football programs. But when you have the opportunity to play these out-of-conference, non-conference schedules, and you get taken to overtime by Jacksonville State, yeah. you don't really have a leg to stand on. So, um, you know, really interesting uh, results. A couple of news pieces that I wanted to touch on before we get into our feature uh, story of the week. It's a bit of concerning news out of uh, Utah. Utah sophomore tight end Lo Filamaka, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, who knows, and freshman running back Marcel Brooks-Brown are both stable and recovering in a hospital Sunday morning after being shot at a party late Saturday night. According to a Utah news release, Fellow marker 20 and Brooks Brown 18 are expected to recover. Both were shot in the torso. It's unknown at this time how soon they'll be able to return to the football field, but the team is optimistic that it will be in the near future. I understand. I mean, I don't know the details of this. We've only just found this out uh, probably 20 minutes ago, uh, and so we obviously don't know the position that they were in, whether or not they literally, you know, um, weren't, you know, put themselves in a position themselves or whether or not they were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. But this ties perfectly into the fact of the last comment being that these guys at college, they're still amateurs. They're not pros. Because, you know, I know I'm thinking worst-case scenario here or, or thinking the worst of the situation. But say, for instance, that these guys put themselves in this situation, in, you know, their own fault. Any pro, you know, worth their salt wouldn't be going out in season you know, when it's their, you know, this is their career and putting themselves in jeopardy for that sort of stuff. You don't see Aaron Rodgers going out, you know, and, and, and cutting up, you know, shapes on the dance floor, you know, doing pingers, all that sort of stuff um, when he's in the middle of the season, do you? I just love cutting up shapes. Yeah, I know. I, I, I thought I'd throw that one I in. barely know what that means. Uh, dancing and, you know, um, I don't know. I just, uh, but the, the whole thing is, that, you know, it doesn't surprise me, but at the same time, this also just solidifies the fact that these guys aren't mature yet. They're not pros. And if they have put themselves in this situation, and I'm assuming here, and that's probably not a fair thing to do, but I will, uh, that, you know, that, that's why, you know, um, these guys need to, uh, you know, understand the situation, position that they're in. And if they're at college on a scholarship to Utah, Pac-12 school, um, a, a big five school, uh, um, sorry, a power five school, that... Um, maybe they need to review what their priorities are during the football season. Well, according to that ESPN.com article that I was reading from before, according to police reports, the shooting happened at 11.53 p.m. Saturday at a private party when three men refused to leave. Salt Lake City police spokeswoman Robin Hyden told the Associated Press one of the suspects pulled out a gun and shot the players. So that's all we kind of can really tell so far. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens there, but kind of a scary story. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like I said, uh, we're, we're two Australians. We know um, uh, Tom Hackett, who's at Utah, uh, and uh, you know, we originally when we saw that, we're thinking, "Well, damn, we don't we don't want someone that we know or like an Australian." Well, hoping it wasn't Tom, yeah, yeah, hoping it wasn't Tom. And you know, that's the uh, you know, there's been saying that it's not good that anyone got shot, by the way. But no, absolutely yeah. not. But in terms of uh, just the overall sort of situation that. Uh, 
you know, there's uh, at the end of the day, these someone knows these people. There's someone's, you know, kids or brother or whatever like that, and um, you know, th- this shouldn't be happening. So um, whether or not uh, the actual Utah players uh, have any, you know, responsibility, it, it sounds like maybe not. Um, you know, they they hopefully were doing the right thing. But, um, yeah, it's always something where you just don't want to hear the news. Next up, the agenda. The NCAA is set to review at least 72 legislative proposals being put forth by member schools in January next year. Some of the proposals include allowing NCAA tournament games to be played in states with sports wagering, changing the date by which students can pull their name from the NBA draft, and changes to academic misconduct rules and more. Now, Lockie, one of the ones that uh, we've read about that you're particularly keen to talk about is changes in... uh, the way that uh, coaches can approach prospective recruits on social media. Yeah, this one, this one really, really annoys me. And just uh, basically, at the crux of it, this is what's wrong, or where the NCAA system is um, faltering at the moment and almost having a double standard uh, in, in the way that they're acting. Is that uh, this one comes out of the the Mid American Conference or the MAC Conference? You know, uh, uh, just not one of the Power Five ones. And this is what it reads. The Mid-American Conference wants to lift all restrictions on communicating with recruits over social media, citing the difficulty in monitoring such activity and a need to keep pace with the evolution of social media technology. Now, the thing I want to focus in on there is citing the difficulty in monitoring such activity. Now, for me... It is a bit strange. What they're basically saying is that you can't regulate it. Yeah. And so So why should we adhere to it? Yeah. How about... Mac, you follow the goddamn rules. Okay, that's the easy way to do it. And the reason why this ticks me off is in the last week, I work in recruiting here. I help a lot of Aussie kids go try to get recruited. Is that I've had first-hand experience here with coaches blatantly breaking the rules because they're speaking to prospects, internationals, um, that don't know the rules. And so they, they, they feel like they can get away with things because they're preying on the naivety of these you know, uh, international recruits that don't know about the rules and stuff like that, so they're not so um, clued in on it. Now, it defeats the whole purpose of actually having these rules. How about you play by the rules and then maybe, just maybe, you'll be able to regulate it. You can self-regulate it. Just because something doesn't have, you know, um, Big Brother overlooking your shoulder, potentially keeping you in line, doesn't mean that you, you know, should abandon them. Now, the, the main reason why this is an issue for me and why this is such a stupid proposal, you know, and whoever, you know, put it forward is an idiot, is because at the crux of it, the reason why the NCAA or their member schools are arguing um, about not wanting to pay athletes is because they're, they're students, yeah. Okay, and they're there for... Student first, athlete second. Athlete second, right? And they, they don't want them to unionise because they're not employees. Well, what you're basically saying is that you want to be able to recruit these people hard um, without, you know, without these rules in place so you can you know, constantly badge them and things like that. They've got school to focus on. They've got an education to give. If they don't want to talk to you, okay, they can initiate contact with you whenever they want. Athletes can uh, initiate the contact after year 11, whenever they want, basically, within within the rules. So if an athlete wants to talk to you or a recruit wants to talk to you, they'll do it, okay? you don't, They don't need you badgering them incessantly over social media on Facebook, which is a personal thing, Twitter, which, you know, is maybe a little bit more open source um, uh, with a community feel and also Instagram. But just leave them alone. They'll come to you if they really want it. Just back off. I just think it's ridiculous that... This, you know, uh, proposal is being put forward. Um, I, I just think it, 
it stinks of all the wrong reasons and just not, um, you know, uh, yeah, just not in the spirit of college athletics. Do you think the NCAA shares the same view as you? I sincerely hope so because at the end of it, you know, if you put this thing in place and you you deregulate social media um, contact and things like that, it's basically it's no different to almost like uh, professional sport in terms of you've always got your um, agents or, or or GMs talking to you about we want to recruit you and things like that. These are kids, okay? They're finishing high school. That's a big important thing. That should be the priority. If if they want to talk to you about going to their school, they will, okay? And you already have enough um, opportunities to initiate contact with them yourself. Just adhere to the rules. They're in there for a reason. One of the other uh, proposals that uh, kind of intrigued me, we're going to run through a whole bunch of them. Again, this isn't what is going to happen. This is proposals put forward by all the conferences towards the NCAA to be reviewed in January. So we'll uh, hopefully be able to find out by then what proposals will be passed and what will not. One of the proposals put forth by the Mountain West conferences is about the opportunity to host NCAA tournament games. It would provide additional Western locations as potential NCAA championship sites, which would decrease travel costs and missed class times. That's according to the Mountain West uh, Commissioner. So currently, they're not allowed to play uh, NCAA tournament games there because in Nevada, um, they uh, allow sports wagering, so they didn't want... Yeah, I, I guess they, they don't corruption. want to look bad. They don't want corruption or anything like that. Which is you'd kind of understand the reason for that. But as said by um, by the Mountain West Conference, Nevada is home to the nation's most elite gaming enforcement agency, the Nevada Gaming Control Board, which controls Nevada's gaming industry through strict regulations of all persons, locations, practices, associations, and related activity. This type of regulation decreases significantly the likelihood of any illicit gaming behavior related to the conduct of NCAA championship events in the state. What do you think of this? Because for a school like UNLV or University of Nevada, Reno, or schools like this based in Nevada where um, it is legal to to, to uh, wage or to bet on, on sporting games, do you think it's unfair that they're not able to rake in the money that other schools are making from March Madness because of the fact that, um, that the NCAA won't allow tournament games to be held in their schools? Oh, absolutely. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an econo- economic um, uh, disadvantage for them, absolutely. And that's why uh, there should be the change. It's, it's, it's quite straightforward. If anything, um, you know... Uh, uh, I just, I just see it as just a, a straightforward thing. Of course, it makes sense. Why you're disadvantaging two schools just because the state that they're in for these laws? I mean, um, and, and to take a cynical view um, is that, and this is different to the the recruiting um, regulation for contact because this is the owner should be on the schools not to uh, to violate the rules that are put in place for the NCAA. But for this gambling thing, you're a bit naive to think that there's not going to be some you know underground betting markets if yeah. people want to bet on it anyway. Well, we see post um, conference conference tournaments um, most played in Vegas anyway. Most of the basketball. The Mountain ones. West Conference are played there anyway. The uh, the West Coast Conference are played there. The Pac-12, I think, are played there as well. Pac-Men. Yeah, Pac-12 men. Pac-12 men. So there's a whole bunch of conferences that play their postseason tournaments in Nevada anyway. So I don't really understand why that would be different to actually playing a game for the NCAA tournament. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, you know. Uh, it, I think it might just be something that it's been a, um, a a loophole or whatever you want to call it, missed in in in, um, in the last few years through the evolution of the rules. But for me, uh, it's just a, it's just an economic decision. What you shouldn't disadvantage these uh, schools because of the state they're in. Yeah, as long as you got the uh, the, the right stadium size, as long as you got uh, appropriate public transport, appropriate lodging, all that sort of stuff. As long as you have 
everything that would make it easy to get to the games and all that sort of stuff, as long as you have a decent setup, there shouldn't be any reason why you shouldn't be allowed to host or at least put in a bid uh, to host an NCAA tournament game because it can generate millions and millions of dollars for the economy for that state. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it's really noble that uh, that the, the NCAA doesn't like betting states or they have these um, these betting laws in place because I think sports gambling is, uh, is, a, is, is, is rife at the moment, a, a real issue. But at the same time, you look at a lot of these new stadiums that go up, um, at least football stadiums, for example, in uh, all over the country. The, the whole reason why any public funds are ever approved is because of the economic uh, benefits it brings by being able to host March Madness. That's always usually one of the core ones. Like the, the new Minnesota Vikings stadium, um, you know, uh, got approved with uh, public money because it will be able to host March Madness. And it's the same with, with all these new football stadiums that go up. The whole reason why public funds get um, uh, used is because it can bring in economic activity into the, into the state. That's the whole purpose of it. That's sure. why it gets approved. So I think um, it's straightforward for me. One of the proposals that I do love as well, this is going to be set by the NCAA itself. Their proposal would change the date by which a student athlete must request his name to be removed from the NBA draft list to 10 days after the conclusion of the NBA draft combine. It would also allow students to enter the NBA draft multiple times without jeopardizing eligibility. I love this. What do you think? Um, I'm keen to hear your viewpoint first on this one, just because I think I have a, I think I have my, my position sorted, but I'm, I'm keen to hear why you love it, because I'm not so sure at the moment. Well, for some reason, there's... A new trend that a lot of underclassmen, specifically in the NBA draft, are declaring way too early for the draft. So if you have a look at the 2015 NBA draft, there was a bunch of underclassmen who declared and who did not get drafted, namely Cliff Alexander, Brandon Ashley, Michael Fraser III, Aaron Harrison, Trevor Lacey, a whole bunch more as well, Robert Upshaw, a whole bunch more. These guys, for some reason, think that they're going to get drafted, whether it's because they uh, they see their names on mock boards or, or something or other. They just think they're better than they are or they think they're better than certain clubs rate them. They decide to go in the draft, potentially leaving two, three years of eligibility on the table. They go in the draft and then they wind up um, not not going anywhere and having to find a place on a summer league roster or, or something like that. So they kind of have to take the back way. They could find themselves in Europe at least if you give them the opportunity to go to draft camp where they can be further, um, I guess, scrutinized and, and further looked at, it would give them a better, a better uh, indication of where they're at in comparison to the other players declaring for the draft. And if they realize that they're not up to the standard that they probably should be, they can at least go back and say, all right, maybe now's not my time. I can spend another year in college developing my skills and see how I go. I think it's almost trying to solve that problem from the, for me um, from the wrong angle i'd rather i mean again these kids are going to college what's the purpose of going to college for two one year of study two years of study and not graduating i i I would want you know i I think that this doesn't solve that problem if anything it exacerbates is is that these kids knowing that they can declare every year and go back to college if they know they're not good enough it just accelerates their ability to you know, um, get out of college sooner without actually having. But to the get ones that keen to leave, I think, would leave anyway. I don't think this would change anyone's uh, mind on whether they should leave or not. But like, you, you see all these stats come out about, um, you know, the whole purpose of the college system is to because it the, the funnel at the very bottom is so small. The amount of high school kids that make it to the pros is that at the end of your college career, at least you have a degree. Okay, where most average kids 
end up with a um, uh, not a what, what's the debt called um, uh, a student loans debt, which you know Obama only paid his off eight years ago. Jimmy Fallon only paid his off last year. You know th- these are massive debts that most people would kill to have an athletic scholarship, um, and these kids are you know um, basically you know blowing it off because uh, you know they, they're looking at sport first and academic second. And, uh, but if they're going to declare for the draft anyway, then they don't have a career in basketball because they go undrafted or they might have a tougher road to get to where they want to be and they don't have the college education. So yep. at least if they declare for the draft and then they realize that they're not quite good enough yet, then they do get an opportunity to go back to college and potentially earn that degree or earn an extra year of education that they wouldn't have had if they hadn't been given the opportunity to go back. Oh, no, I, abs- I, I like that part of it. I just, I also, but I also think it, it's a double-edged sword. I think it also potentially uh, gives kids that maybe might be um, are good enough to get drafted can declare um, or are good enough to get drafted but didn't actually think that they would be, the, the chance to leave earlier without getting their degree where they might have thought, oh, I'll definitely stay three years um, and they might go after two. Um, you know, that's the uncommon way to probably view it. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to see that happen if we decrease the number of underclassmen who aren't getting drafted. In the NFL this year, 29% of underclassmen who declared for the draft went undrafted. The year before, it was 37%. That is way too high. If you're leaving that many, that much on the table, you're leaving a year or two of eligibility at college on the table, you should have no doubt that you're going to get drafted. Yeah, I, I just don't like... I mean, I like how the NFL says that you have to spend at least three years. Me too. But if, if you speak to these kids in basketball who are 19, 20 years old, they've come from... In horrendous upbringings, don't have a lot of money, and you're saying, all right, you could potentially go to the States, or you could potentially go to the NBA, sorry, and earn however much money in your first year. They're thinking, yep, sweet, no worries, I'm a first rounder, I'm going to make some money, I'm going to buy a house for my mum. Then they declare for the draft, then all of a sudden they go undrafted, then they're really stuffed. I know, and that's. that's you can't blame these kids for wanting to leave early. No, no, and that's the tricky thing is that um, I understand that, uh, you know, there are, uh, there's tons of precedent for these kids that. Uh, are leaving because they want to secure their their family's future um, and, and things like that. But you know, I just um, I, I just think it's it's being exploited as opposed to uh, actually being you know um, a, a good setup. So I, I you know I, it's I don't know if it's something you can solve. It's just that I just think it's being exploited, and that's a sad thing. No, one more that I wanted to touch on really quick. I don't know what you want to touch on after this, but I just wanted to make a, a reference uh, to a concept being proposed by the Pac-12 is to allow student athletes to use their names, images, and likeliness to promote their own non-athletic business ventures. So we're seeing with the um, with the Ed O'Bannon trial uh, that uh, was what was that last year? Is that, has that been twelve months? Yeah, was it this year? Oh, it's in the last twelve months. Within the last twelve months. The Ed O'Bannon trial essentially uh, gave student athletes the right to use their likeliness because they were seeing um, student athletes being used in video games and and colleges using the images of the students to profit for monetary value when the students see none of that money because they are student athletes and are not allowed to make money. So we're seeing the change in college landscape that hopefully one day these college athletes could get paid and that's kind of taken form of uh, I think they're, they're starting to get stipends and all that sort of stuff yep. and cost of living uh, allowances, all that sort of yep. stuff. So they get money for uh, their daily activities, stuff like that, car, you know, yeah, food, all that, all that sort of stuff. This one is specifically to promote their non-athletic business ventures like any other student. So they keep going on about these student athletes being essentially just like every other student on campus. They're afforded the same rights, all this sort of stuff. They don't get any 
more benefits than uh, than the other students on campus. That is the whole idea of a student athlete. You're pretty much exactly like every other uh, student on campus. Other students are allowed to go out and make their money with their own business, yep. with their own ventures, all this sort of stuff. Up until this proposal, they haven't. Student athletes haven't been able to do the same thing because they can profit off their name and. It's just it's it's a gray area and what they're allowed to and what they're not. With this proposal, they're allowed to go out, start their own business, be a part of a, a company, and essentially make money through that way. I'm I'm staggered that this hasn't it's taken this long to get here because you know uh, I think uh, I think that's part of college uh, is that exactly. you, you you do you know, maybe internships or you uh, you know you start you I mean look Facebook was created in college uh, Snapchat was created in college. All these sort of, I'm talking from a tech um, world to start up here, um, but like I, I just feel so, you know, um, these these student athletes, especially when we're talking Power 5 schools, they're coming from very good, um, reputable, re- reputable universities. So I'm, I'm imagining here that there's some pretty smart kids in there. And if they come up with a business idea, why shouldn't they be able to leverage their profile? I mean, especially if it's non-athletic. I mean, that's just it, it's madness. I think that they're trying to put that restriction on beforehand. Well, the grey area is the fact that they're not allowed to use the fact that they are college athletes to push their business. So they can't use the fact that they are a quarterback at this, you know, Power Five school to actually push their uh, their business or whatever have you. So it kind of there is a grey area there, but I think they they definitely need the opportunity to actually go out there and make their own money because it is hard for these athletes to kind of find um, you know. Well, um, if anything, outside of the you know the twenty hour limit that they have to train, I don't think anyone believes that all those schools adhere to the twenty hour weekly limit. And there are going to be changes uh, proposals who are put up um, you know a, a complete block from I think nine pm till. Uh, no, what what is it? Ten p.m. till nine a.m. or something. There's there's, there's a block yeah. where they're not allowed to, uh, to to train or anything like that as well. Yeah, is that uh, you know the rest of the time they're studying. Well, you, you like to imagine studying or sleeping or whatever. Uh, and uh, if they're studying, you know they're probably talking. They're in college. I mean, they're getting education for their future career job. You know, wh- why shouldn't they be allowed to potentially start a business venture? Because that's what college is about. College isn't about the sport. They're student athletes, and uh, I think that uh, you know this restriction previously is uh, it's been very uh, short sighted in in its uh, in its uh, development. The final proposal that we wanted to touch on today was uh, the measurement that would change the academic misconduct rules to require schools to publish and follow an academic misconduct policy for all students, define impermissible academic assistance, and determine when a student's worker's involvement would be considered academic misconduct. Lucky, what do you think? Uh, yeah, really short. Um, I think this is uh, smart and, 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 and fair. Um, obviously, student-athletes uh, historically have gotten away uh, with things in terms of uh, marquee basketball programs, football programs. Uh, if you you know you're there at university to study, if you break the rules, you should be held to account like every other student. And we don't really have a whole lot of time for our winners and losers, Lucky, but we'll just give pretty much a, a one sentence on who your uh, loser of the week or winner of the week. You're doing winner this I'm week. Doing I'm winner. doing loser. Who's your winner of the week, really quick? D'Antonio, Mark D'Antonio. You spoke about him before for us. Yeah, I just think that uh, um, you know what he's done at Michigan State. Um, you know, I think uh, he's a. Uh, He's really shown, or his resume um, over the last six, seven years, uh, you know, he's in line for, for bigger things in the future. Now, my loser of the week is Notre Dame quarterback Malik Zaire. Last week, I had uh, the pleasure of giving out the winner of the week. I was going to give it to Malik Zaire. In the end, I went for uh, the chosen Rosen from UCLA, the, the fresh, true freshman quarterback. 
But uh, Notre Dame quarterback Malik Zaire has uh, in- has injured his ankle. He uh, broke his right ankle uh, on the weekend and will miss the rest of the season. He uh, was looking to have a terrific season. He had a terrific game in week one, looked for a breakout season, but in the end got injured ha, and he's ha, out for the rest of the season. A breakout season. Get it? That was very clever by me, actually. Yeah. Well, that too. Well, it was clever by me to actually pick up on it. That does this for the second episode of College Nation. You can all find us on uh, Facebook at SEN America, facebook.com forward slash SEN America, and our Twitter page as well at SEN America. Thanks for listening to the College Nation podcast. For more SEN America podcasts, head to sen.com.au. To keep up to date with the latest American sports news and interviews from around SEN, follow SEN America on Twitter at SEN America and on Facebook at facebook.com slash SEN America. When you purchase a set of Napa brake pads and rotors, you get a discount code from Fanatics.com worth up to $50 towards your favorite sports gear. While Napa can't help your team reach the promised land, we can help make sure your car will because these brakes come with something no sports team does. Guaranteed performance. Great brakes, great price, great fan gear. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. Offer expires September 30th, 2017.